This is Co-Group's podcast. Thrilled to have the founder Priyamada Singh with us. Priyamada, tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do? Hey, um, so I am an architect. Uh, though I became an architect completely by serendipity, it was never something that I had decided to do as a child. Um, but somehow, my mother saw some sort of a seed in me. You know, where she she felt that I was uh, somebody who was more inclined towards uh, liberal arts and towards uh, fine arts. and as well had a really strong sense of math and language and uh, she just told me after my 12th boards that you know why don't you just just try it like just go and take the exam and maybe you'll like it right so um i actually wanted to be an engineer an aeronautical engineer at that and uh, i somehow did not score very well in my 12th boards uh, in my uh, physics and chemistry so uh, you know i was very disappointed with myself and i said okay fine i'll listen to whatever that my mother says and uh, i went ahead and i joined these classes uh, where they kind of were you know sort of talking about what design and architecture is and it was a lot of fun like i really remember being very excited about the whole thing and i went in uh, took my exams at sept in amdabad and it's a it was a very long process it still is uh, there are three levels of examinations that happen and there's a lot of drawing and you know model making visualizing space and stuff like that um by the end of it i think i was just hooked i got accepted and you know i joined the college um we call it school uh, so i joined school and uh, you know became an interior designer actually at first it's a uh, interior architecture and while finishing that towards the end of my uh 6 uh, years that uh, we are required to do a thesis a written thesis and i think that was where really uh my true interest in what i wanted to do with being an architect or a designer you know uh, came forth and this was i started to look at the uh, spaces as um, you know what are the conceptual and the perceptual makings of a space right and i took a very long time to write my thesis i took 1.25 years um some 3000 5000 sketches i don't even remember huge book that i produced and uh, professor doshi bb doshi he actually accepted my thesis uh, you know as as an external guide he accepted to come in and take my uh, thesis review which i think was a turning point for me in my life because getting bb doshi to even read your thesis is a big deal to actually accept to be your external juror is uh, quite something um and uh, you know i truly expected that this would be a disaster i said yes but <laughs> once i you know walked into the jury room i was petrified i was really really scared uh, you know about what they'd say but uh, fortunately um, i did fairly well i did extremely well actually um, ended up getting an a plus and you know like topping the thesis etc um and like i said it was it was truly a turning point for me because all that effort that i'd put in for a year and a half you know writing this thesis and really getting into the theory of architecture and design um made me believe that okay you know it gave validation i would say to all of those years of should i do this should i not do this is this the right field for me i i don't come from a family of architects at all my father was in the army my mother did study fine arts but she was a housewife and an army wife so you know she was involved in a lot of things in the army but never really had an any design career uh, for that matter and the family was full of lawyers and engineers right so there was nobody that i could really speak to or have any sort of a you know uh, a feedback from so uh, yeah so i think like at that moment it was that thesis and my guide was professor yatin pandya 
who again till date has been my greatest uh, influence and mentor i would say like mm. you know again he's somebody who uh, one of the first pioneers of uh, starting to look at at least from that generation right who started to look at indian architecture and indian spatial qualities traditional indian architecture how does it come back into uh, you know uh, into contemporary times and how looking at the sustainability aspect of it in multiple manners not just material but there are so many ways that a built environment can be uh, can be uh, you know uh, what's the word sustainable right so mm. i think like there is where it all started and then i decided to do a masters in architecture because as an interior designer you were constantly told that you know you're not an architect so you can't build a building so i said okay fine then i'll become a bloody architect sorry for so you mind. went to columbia uh, right yeah after. so no i actually went to uh, stadel schule in frankfurt which is an art and architecture academy and uh, i did a year and a half of diploma studies there Uh, with uh, Ben van Berkel, and uh, I was actually slated to go to MIT. But while mm-hmm. there, uh, yeah, so I'd been accepted, and this was sort of in between that I was at uh, Stadel. And uh, as luck would have it, while I was there, you know, one of the professors, and then later on deans of Columbia, DSAP, uh, the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation, there, he used to teach us a, a seminar. So he started to tell me that you know. with your background mit is not really uh, as uh, lucrative or as it won't be as uh, fruitful uh, masters for you as columbia would be you know because you come from this social uh, impact kind of uh, uh, architectural background or design mm-hmm. background and mit is the same right so columbia was where all the uh digital architecture and sort of the new theories so called new theories of the time were coming in so and and this was mark wigley he teaches a, a he used to i think he still teaches at stadel if i'm not wrong so anyway i i decided to apply to columbia as well the second time around and i got accepted and you know i'm i, I landed in uh, columbia e- even though i wasn't very sure again i'll be very honest i think like you know i've always been that person where <laughs> i get into things not being very sure but uh, some and maybe that helps because you're you know you are critical of uh, and you question everything that you um, uh, take on right like even even deciding on your courses if i was absolutely certain that this is where i need to be and you know this is the place for me i don't think i would experiment as much whereas when i didn't wasn't sure and i was tentative about a certain program i uh, researched it more i looked at who were my professors way more than i would otherwise and i really really went and you know uh, signed up for the courses that i truly wanted to uh, invest myself in so yeah then it was uh, columbia i did a 3 year mark i became an architect uh, completed my <laughs> completed my licensing as well so i'm licensed in new york state um worked in the us for about 6 years five and a half actually after completing my masters and at some point it was you know do i want to continue or do i want to start on my own and um, i somehow always wanted to work in india and in fact while i was working at som in uh, new york uh, i think besides two or three projects rest of all the projects that i worked on were india based so i was one of the few people who were in indian from india you know who were on the, uh, in som at the time in the design team uh, in that particular partners team uh, roger duffy's team and i was just put on the india team you know because it just was a, it just so happened that we were people with the background and 
could could kind of take on these things um uh, yeah so i think there again started right like want to do something back home want to do something back home and i always always wanted to work in the space of uh, the public realm right like for public infrastructure uh, buildings and environments that actually have an impact um and what brought me back to india was one was obviously this that i wanted to start on my own and i wanted to work here but more than that actually uh, this is a bit of a you know anecdote but my brother uh, older brother he also lives in new york and was there at the time and he was at mckinsey uh at the time and we were catching up for coffee and you know we were just generally chatting and i was talking to him about what should i do next should i go move back you know where should we go and uh, uh i think he just generally started to question me like what would you want to do you know and i of course said the same thing that i really want to work in the public sector etc etc so why do you want to work in the public sector so then i remembered this whole story of you know uh, our father actually uh, belongs to balia uh, in eastern up and we have our house and lands still in a village in uh, eastern up called kharoni so all our growing up years we spent one month of a vacation a summer holidays in this village with our grandparents right so i still the most vivid memory i have growing up and you know it still remains pretty much the same is that when you enter the village right at the entrance is the uh, government school and you know there was this little pond which dried up and a small little you know like random building as as most government buildings are a shed actually not even a building um and uh, i always felt that you know you need to make a better school for this village right like and that this beautiful pond in front of it it had all these trees like such a lovely uh, little piece of infrastructure which was completely underutilized what underutilized it was even like lying vacant for so long right like people wouldn't even kids weren't even being taught over there so somewhere along the way i started to think about you know how do you uh, how do you sort of bring progress and equity through good architecture and design you know like how can i use my skills as an architect as as a builder of spaces of places right like to actually bring equity i think like you know we each profession has their impact but we have a very very sincere in fact uh, impact when we you know are uh, we're literally curating and creating infrastructure which is what we are using all the time to do all the things that we're doing so we can't take this lightly right so at that point he said okay you know there's one thing that i've always been thinking about that uh, uh, you have all this uh, you know uh, couch surfing and sharing like the whole uh, sharing economy was you know this is around circa 2007 8 i think that we were having this conversation and uh, he was like you know there's this whole sharing economy why haven't we been thinking about sharing spaces in in architecture and design and i was like that's a brilliant question you know why haven't we <laughs> and we sort of started just writing this down on a you know on a, a, a napkin like literally i know it sounds very cliche but it actually happened and uh, at that point is when i started to tell him that actually when we look at our you know uh, traditional architecture ancient architecture temple complexes or um, mosque complexes there were never a single temple or a single mosque or a bazaar lane right it was all a complex so a temple opened out into a very very commercial bazaar which opened out into a public space you know and the temple was not just used for prayers it was used for di- in different times for different 
things like it would become a gurukul it would uh, host weddings it would have you know even events so the spaces the courtyard spaces the yes sure there was the sanctum you know that wouldn't be touched but multiple parts of the uh, of the complex were utilized in different times by different peoples for different functions and if you even look at your own houses like you know uh, we really don't have a stark public and a stark private in our traditional way of being right which yeah. in new york was very stark like so i could i really could make that comparison that when i enter my building there's a corridor and the corridor is maybe semi public but i don't really talk to anybody i just enter with that there's a door and i'm in my private space i come out that door and i'm in public space right there's no semi public semi private whereas in india if you look at a traditional house there's a stoop outside the house you know where which is on the street so people sit on that street it's not just for the house anybody and everybody comes and sits and you sit there in the evening your neighbors passing by you kind of chit chat you know then you have an angan or the courtyard so if the people that you want to bring in you're like hey why don't you like you know, sort of just come in or whatever and some people you gather as neighbors and you start to uh, maybe make pickle or whatever like you know semi public activities happen over there and the real private space is likely just the bedroom right so who gets into that bedroom is what defines your relationship with the person or the community or the neighbor right so the way that we uh, uh, to use a term that scaria uses the neighborliness you know that mm. creative community i started to think about that a lot and and i you know came to this sort of thing that i think we're losing that and that's we're losing it because we're building that we're building boundaries you know we're building very stark boundaries not negotiating boundaries we always had boundaries right. you have to you can't not have boundaries right but they're negotiable because of the way that they're organized and then you're giving me that freedom to be more public or more private whereas now you're not doing that we are making these societies which are gated you know so you're sort of saying that this is me and this, this is the limit that you have and you're pushing out a large uh, large part of your community so it all sort of started there and uh, i think for me i started to look at multi use or multi inclusive spaces and uh, you know i actually started to look at all the infrastructure and say that okay which are the buildings which are most underutilized and uh, the school building was the most underutilized piece of infrastructure there has been a lot of literature that has already been written about it and uh, you know the us has something called the joint schools so which have a community center etc cetera, etc cetera, into it so i had all this data lying in front of me and i think it just kept on you know increasing my interest in the thing and i uh, kept trying from the states itself to do something here which didn't work so at some point it was like okay either i give up on that and you know continue my career path in multiple firms in the us or just pack my bags and see where, where this goes so there wasn't any grand plan i literally just landed in delhi or rather gurgaon and uh, yeah i sat at a dining table and you know decided the common ground practice i think the name common ground practice also was my brother and me the same conversation when right. i was like finding common ground and then when time came i just coined the term and my dad was like yeah it has a good ring and uh, i had to produce these uh, <laughs> visiting cards <laughs> my parents were visiting so i just sat down with my father and in one hour i was like you know doing something and he's like yeah yeah this looks good yeah yeah sure sure this color looks good and you know that's how it all started and, and then just I, i don't know i kept meeting people and you know one thing led to another and here we are 
Yeah. Yeah, we are indeed. I really think you're in the community building business, not in the architecture business. Do you agree with that? I I completely agree with you. I think architecture is in the community building business and should be in the community building business, right? Like why? Uh, because human beings occupy space, right? Right now you're inside a house. You are in a particular room to do this interview with me. And if whoever has thought of this, even if you built it yourself, there's a, a, a thought gone into it about, you know, whether this can uh, be used by you singularly or you with your neighbor or with your wife or with your you know family or with your friends. So you think about people when you are thinking about space because space is yeah. occupied by people. So I think without community, whether you want to, uh, you know, uh, mingle community or keep them apart, those are choices. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Right? you know, it's so interesting because right now I'm in a Victorian building, uh, which has a garden at the back, a garden in the front um, mm-hmm. in England. I stay in, uh, in my Delhi house is... Uh, you know, a little bit of a shared space outside and then there are verandas, but it's becoming more private. In right. the US, you described about, um, you know, your building, which I could totally uh, imagine and relate to. You walk in, a little little bit of a space and then you go up and then you come out. Um, talk to us about the, dev- the evolution of space, time and how has community building through space building um, evolved across India, Europe, the US, and what does uh, the changing preference of society have to do with it? Hmm, Good question. So I think India still remains very community driven just because maybe it is because of the way the family structures still are very, you know, uh, whether people like it or not, uh, you know, the family structures are still strong. There may be, there's a a lot of, uh, you know, people may, sort of want the Western way of the individual, but in the end, we are not like that any, uh, still. Like we're not as individual, individually driven a society as, you know, uh, probably See the, the US. Yeah. yeah, the US is, right? Uh, so uh, that's why I think like in India, it's still pretty community driven, though it is changing, like I'm saying, like hmm. all, all your schools, et cetera, everything is changing, right? Your simple case in point is that boundary walls used to be about four feet you could see yeah. outside and now they're not. The idea of a boundary wall is now that I sh- shouldn't be able to see outside and outside shouldn't be able to see me. You want that you know, disconnect from the road or from the street, right? So I think that it has evolved towards the individual a lot all over the place. And if we go back into history in the, in the Americas or in Europe as well, there was obviously like, and Europe, I would say that it's not as much about the personal house. I really can't uh, comment on much I guess still you do have you don't have boundary walls between houses right like you just have a front yard but they're not super high in many high areas yeah. in America it's the same in the suburbs you don't have boundary walls really you know you live next to your neighbors um, but in Europe I think what is still pretty great is the uh, public spaces they're truly public mm-hmm. spaces right like the urban the urban form is really takes care of the community but I think what really changed and has probably inspired architects across the world now uh, to think about community more is COVID. I think COVID made us all think about how we are building because suddenly you felt isolated. You know, you were stuck in a house which didn't allow for these sort of 
interactions, which uh, old uh, houses and communities, housing communities allowed for, whether it was Europe, whether it was America or India, most housing communities would have these, you know, uh, common areas like the entrance courtyard, then a courtyard, probably your verandas or your balconies overlooked into your uh, neighbor's house. So you could actually, you know, stand on your balcony and you could see people coming up and down. And there were these uh, spaces which were uh, common, right? So the common started to get less and less. Uh, I think mainly because of money, because every square feet costs you, you know, it's, it's mm. you sell by per square feet. So when we design also, we're, you know, we're constantly maximizing to uh, the, the sellable area, right? And that creates a lot of problems. So there are very few clients who will come in and say, yeah, it's okay. I don't care about my sellable area. You know, give me a larger balcony or give me a larger veranda. Nobody does that. No builder will do that, right? So hmm. those are, I think, the reasons that all of this has happened. But I do see a huge change. I mean, you, you, you know, so many, all, all large firms, small firms, but even the really big corporates have changed their ideology and, and their uh, their narrative now to start to think about uh, community not only in residences but in workspaces i'm sure you you're noticing that that we're talking more and more about how a workspace uh, you know uh, uh, basically caters to all kinds of employees all kinds of working environments uh, has breakout spaces has green spaces you know ventilation like things which were uh, there as a result of uh, the community driven aspect and us being more sustainably inclined like you know that cross ventilation was a no brainer earlier right. but then as air conditioning comes in you start to create uh, you know there are no windows anymore like most of your towers there is nothing there's no cross ventilation there is no window that opens it's all just glass and it's glazed and everything is an interior environment that is controlled right so i think that also people are beginning to realize like this is not the way to be because covid was a big slap in the face that now suddenly you had to naturally ventilate right like to get the virus out or make it yeah. circulate ever so uh, yeah it's it's a very interesting question and that is i think something which intrigues me the most and uh, you know more all projects that we take on, whether they're residential, whatever, there's always that intention to uh, bring in at least a bit of the community aspect as much as we can. You know, think think people before and place before thinking form and design. I mean, form and design, etc., are all a resultant of context that is place and the people users or the people hmm. who are going to use it, right? Like that's what creates yeah. should create the space that you're creating. So architecture is the, in the community design business and co-group, your company seems to be in the community design business as well. And uh, you are trying to design communities and the manifestation it takes could be different. And uh, I think we should dive deep into that in our newsletters, in our podcast. But why are you doing all of this? Why, why create content that baffles me altogether? Why create content? I didn't understand that. Content. Why do this podcast? Why why ah, start a ah. co-group uh, newsletter? Why why are you getting in this content business altogether? I think um, so. I think for me, it started with I never really cared much about even you know uh, our website for that matter. Where, where are you doing it now? You know. Then you real uh, the reason I started to uh, or we as a company decided that we need to you know focus more on this is because. Uh, 
recently a bunch of uh, interns and uh, young architects who joined the company you know when they join they're constantly surprised and they're like wow oh really this also happens like this is how you do it you know oh this is why this particular thing was done in this manner and they they don't know anything about uh, not anything but they don't know a lot about why they are uh, you know why co group is co group or what what exactly do we do of course they have a general mm. idea but they are not really they they don't have an idea of my background or what i bring to the table or what you know why those buildings are unique uh, formally right so mm. they they all join us because it all looks very exciting it's all visual mostly and a little bit of text that is there mm. sounds academic sounds interesting you know so it it picks your interest but when they're in the system and when they're designing for instance um recently an intern who joined us you know he was as soon as he joined us i got him to start working on a physical model of a design that we had conceptualized right uh, the, which means that we had uh, drawn it up and we sort of uh, built all these 3d models etc and done some physical models but very very sketch physical models so we had a more or less a uh, we would call it a schematic level building together and i told him okay fine this is your you know uh, uh, to this 1 to 200 scale you now build the exact thing in as a physical model so he came in thinking that okay fine i'm the design is there i'm literally going to just do you know labor work which is i'll produce the model but while he was making it uh, my brief to him was that the re- this is a study model we are not making a final model to show a client or something of that sort hmm. this is for us to see that whatever that we have modeled in the three dimensional space you know how do we now finesse it more in in, in hmm. the physical form right so i gave him certain ways of how okay i want i don't want you to stick the walls you put them like this so that once you've done this particular floor you know uh, talk back with me and then we'll kind of sketch over it so we would like have you know our plans printed out and we'd sketch on it and then he'd doodle there and then i'd help him with the model and break something and put something somewhere else then we'd remodel it in the 3d space and for me that's the way design is done this is my pedagogical uh, background mm. this is how i was taught to work right but apparently these days I, i don't know maybe because it was also the two years that covid happened students didn't have studio so they didn't really understand how uh, to design i mean you know i have no better way of putting it so just recently he told me that you know it was such a a nice thing and an eye opener for me that making a model is not just you know making a model like just producing mm. physical piece or an artifact but it's actually a thinking tool and we are thinking through that model and the drawings and everything is going on simultaneously and it's so exciting to do this you know yeah. so that's when i start to realize that there are things you take for granted uh, you know which you feel that everybody knows and it's not just the people who join you but more or specifically i think clients or people who are going to get things built or going to uh, you know be in these spaces i don't think there is enough awareness about what the role of an architect or a designer is you know in india yeah. you constantly get told apne ek map hi to banana hai you know ye fee kyun le rahe ho aap and you're like map i mean you know that you just have to make one drawing like a flat drawing why is it so expensive when you're like well uh, where do we even begin you know how do we explain to you what goes into creating a building right so i think that i mean it, it it's a mystery to most people and it we is. do realize yeah and we do realize that you know when you 
a lot of clients along the process, even they learn so much, right? And, and there's so much that they uh, then can give to you as a client because they realize like, oh, wow, okay, you know, we can even do this. Ah, even this is possible, right? So I feel like if, if we talk about it more and we, you know, create this content where it, it just demystifying or unbundling what 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 architecture or democratizing insights because i really yes, feel that yes. uh, you're you're in the community building and storytelling business mm-hmm. and uh, you might think that is unique to uh, kogu but mm-hmm. it's my fundamental belief that today mm-hmm. any business any sector if they have to uh, you know stand the test of time they need to be in the community building and storytelling business so congratulations mm-hmm. on taking this first really powerful uh, step in this direction. Just uh, tell me uh, a quick sense. Why do people come to the co-group? What, what's something that you're able to do which is hard to find in the market? What's your category of one? Hmm. <laughs> that's a good question. I guess that's a question for the clients. But um, mostly, I think it is a couple of things. Firstly, uh, it is that, uh, you know, the, the designs themselves are not what you see around you. So they're unique, they stand out. So I think that attracts, that's number one. But beyond that, I think the kind of commitment that we as a practice and I particularly as the lead architect, you know, I mean, most practices uh, in any field uh, at, at a founder level or at a principal level, the involvement that I have in every project, it, it's tough to do. And it's very tough for me as well, right? But the sort of personal time that we give as a team to the clients, I think that makes a huge difference. And that is why most of our clients have, we have most of our clients are repeat clients and they have recommended us to other people because, I mean, I was told by a particular client this, that I told these guys that, you know, I've worked with a lot of architects, but what is really great about Priyambada is that uh, she really works with you, you know? So like I have a very particular the way of working and she really works with me she doesn't try to put her uh, ego onto you know not not exactly ego but uh, most uh, you know like as as a designer as anybody who who's uh, has a vision of what they want it, it is an aesthetic field right it's something which is very very subjective so of course i have a certain bent towards the kind of design that i like but at the same time i think uh, I also am a person who realizes that you are the user of that space and you know way better than me what you want, right? Now, making you may know what you want conceptually, but visually, maybe you think you see an image and you think, oh, this is what I want. It's my job to tell you, no, what you're thinking about is here. Why don't we do it like this, right? So Mm -hmm. I have to work with you. Whereas a lot of times what happens, and this is sort of part of a a bit of a flaw in our pedagogy too, that we're kind of told that we know better than the user. You know, like it's my job to tell you how to live. No, it's not my job to tell you how to live. It's my job to work with you to create a thing, a space which allows you to live the way that you want to live. So first I have to understand why do you want to live the way you want to live? And what is it about you that, that is unique? That, that's only when that I can come in and give you, you know, what you want. Otherwise I'm going to keep repeating the same. And that's why you'll see that most people have signatures, you know, hmm. like they'll create the same kind of spaces, the same kind of materiality. And it happens with all of us, 
but it's something that I'm very conscious of. And I really make a, I mean, as a company, we make a concerted effort uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, start from scratch on every project and not say that we've done 10 offices or 20 offices or 30 offices. So now we can just copy paste, you know, and it's easy to do. We can actually. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Tell me a bit about, uh, you know, what, what's coming up with your community building plan. What shall we expect in this uh, discussion on podcasts and YouTube and so on and so forth? What can listeners hope to learn? So I think uh, we want to also, besides just, you know, the work that we are doing, we want to also uh, focus on bringing the voices of the people who we work with out. Right. So not just clients, clients, of course, no brainer that we'll be talking to some of our clients and, you know, the, talking to them about architecture from the other side, like what is their view on why a space works for them or doesn't work for them. But more importantly, the people who build our buildings and spaces. I think we don't know enough, people don't know enough. Uh, the general you know, person who's not in the field doesn't know enough or doesn't give enough credit to the carriers and the labor and the contractors and the people who actually make it happen. Like we think yeah. it. We are nothing without them. It's as simple as that. So, you know, from an installation that we did in Koj, uh, there was a team of carpenters and uh, uh, what is it called? Your uh, cot weavers who was given to us. And I cannot even begin to tell you how much we learned from them. You know, we mm-hmm. went in there thinking we had the whole project. We knew exactly what needed to be done. And then there were 30 things that fell apart. And if these guys hadn't come up and looked at us and said, okay, tell me, you know, what do you need to do? And we're like, oh, we need this particular knot. And obviously we were doing the knot incorrectly because we don't work with our hands as much as they work with it. They're the guys who are actually building these things. And they were like, okay, fine, please tell us what you want and we'll give you five options. You know, and in a second, the problem was solved. Like the way that these people, I mean, our, our teams build the buildings. I think that is something that we really want to focus on. And besides that, in terms of, so th- that's a community, a huge part of the community that mm-hmm. doesn't get credit that it should, you know, and I, I personally, I'm also very interested in technology and labor practices, because I think mm-hmm. technology should not replace and cannot replace labor practices. They can enhance labor practices. And that's what we try to do with a lot of our work as well. And I'd, I'd really like to, uh, you know, hopefully uh, build that as, as, a, as a company as well and, and, and you know, create more of a, uh, this thing around it, right? Um, and the other thing that we want to focus on is uh, social impact projects, you know? So mm. by social impact projects, I mean, uh, in, in the field of education, uh, skill, health, we are working a lot on these areas, stuff that we can't talk about immediately but in a you know in a month or so we should be able to uh, talk about these projects more um, <clears throat> but you know uh, projects which are not only in the urban uh, urban areas mm. but also in villages like that's another thing that has been a focus for me like I said my you know our family comes from a village we still have mm. a house there we still live there so for me like giving back to that region is of utmost I mean that that will be my dream come true so we're yeah. really trying to uh, put together some, uh, you know, uh, uh, so skill training projects uh, in that area in, in Eastern UP and wherever else that we can, but to start with over there. 
So a lot of that is something that we'll speak of. And then inclusivity of space. And inclusivity, again, you know, we, uh, this is another thing which is quite, uh, a lot of people are talking about it and working on it currently, which is the idea of multi-inclusive spaces, not only a human-centric notion of it, but also looking at all other species and understanding that, you know, we can't take over environment, we have to live with environment. So again, if we look back to our traditional practices, we always lived with our environment, right? Like the column mm. that you take outside your house with the rice uh, dust that is actually for ants to come and eat. So the ants won't enter your house. They will just come, they'll eat that and go out, right? My grandmother, the courtyards in your houses would have bays that, you know, snakes could come in. So on Nagpanchani, I still remember my grandmother used to have these bowls of milk, which she would keep at particular spots in the house. Snakes would literally come in, drink that milk and go out. They would not come anywhere else in the house. They would just come into that space, have the milk and go out. You know, there was, there was a much more uh, inclusive way of living. And we understood rituals. If you look at rituals, you always had, uh, you know, all, all, all our uh, functions and prayers and rituals were that, oh, I'm taking from the environment. I will give back to it. And I will also... Uh, uh, sort of record that you know it's, it, there's a reason that all our rituals are uh, in place like all your harvest rituals etc because you understand that you're taking something from the earth you're making it you you know you're sort of setting it into your psyche whereas now we don't do it and if we do it it's all become very symbolic you know we, we, we've forgotten the reasons behind it or we are forgetting we've not forgotten but we're sort of forgetting so i think those are things also that truly interest me and interest the practice and those are things that we want to bring in through our podcast and through this content that we are trying yeah. to and embarking on yep no, I mean I really feel that you are building your category of fun also by creating this content and democratizing these insights I had no idea about the Nag Panchmi example or why ants uh, you know come in a certain way but when I heard it, it made intuitive sense. It's, yeah. uh, it's incredible. So I feel smarter after uh, listening to you and hosting you for the first episode. And really looking forward to the others, you know, mm -hmm. to your newsletters, to your podcasts, to the entire community that you build around spaces and how these spaces come to define us. And like you, I have lived in US, Europe, India. My brother lives in uh, Asia, in Hong Kong. So all of these, the way you build your spaces is who you become as a society. So Absolutely. thank you again for starting this and uh, really looking forward to the next episode. Likewise.